0: Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago. As I'm recording this, we are in the midst of the coronavirus crisis and many of us hopefully most of us have been stuck in our house for a considerable period of time so i just i wanted to note that the podcast episodes that you're going to be hearing through the month of april those were all pre-recorded in the before time we're going to have to we're going to have to come up with what before coronavirus and post coronavirus because it's my estimation that the world is never going to be the same and My hope is that it will not be the same for the better and that we will be able to move towards more connection with each other and more compassion. Speaking of compassion, today's guest is a wonderful human named Liza Kindred. And I came across Liza like I do most wonderful humans on Instagram and reached out to her. And luckily, she agreed to to chat with me. And she's got a lot of wonderful things to say about meditation and compassion and self-compassion. And I know you're going to really enjoy this episode. So Liza is the founder of F This Meditation, a meditation community where the sacred meets the profane. Her book, F This, 108 Tips, Tricks, and Ideas for When You're Stressed Out, Anxious, and Overwhelmed, is a manual for living with less stress. She's a globally recognized keynote speaker. Her goal for you is to know in your heart that you are complete, just not finished. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Eliza Kindred. OMG, wait! I almost forgot to tell you. I've been mentioning this a little bit, but probably not enough. So it might be too late, but I hope it's not. But tonight, we are having a Conversations with a Wounded Healer community gathering. And normally, I reserve the community gatherings for folks who are Patreon members, people who are financially supporting the podcast. But because of everything that's going on right now, I really wanted to invite everyone. So if you're listening to this episode on Wednesday, April 1st, you're invited to a party tonight. Well... I mean, it's going to be on Zoom. It'll be a party. It'll be great. But it'll be with other members of the Conversations with a Wounded Healer community. And we're just going to talk about how we feel and what's going on. So it's not a therapy session. I'm not going to be doing anything exciting and profound. We're really just focused on connecting. If you're interested in joining tonight, the link for the Zoom is going to be in our show notes. So it's going to be at 7 p.m. Central Time. And yes, we do do Daylight Savings. I said, (laughs) doo-doo. Anyway, uh, if you're able, please join us for the community gathering tonight, April 1st, 7 p.m. Central Time. Hello, Liza. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Thank God we finally made this work, right? (laughs) One or both of us have had technology issues and all kinds of things. So I'm so glad that we're finally sitting down together. Me too. Yay. And I have your book right here. Thank you. I know. Look how cute I am. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. First, welcome. And I'd love for you to tell folks who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, thank you. So my name is Liza Kindred, and I am building a meditation community around something we call "F this meditation." But yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it is for people like us. It is, yeah. it is people who are really interested in meditation or meditation adjacent things, but are like. Swearing in their everyday lives and are not not super precious. <laughs> you know what I mean? That yes, I do. That's why I'm laughing. Super precious. There's That's so
0: a kind laugh. way of saying that. Thank you. I developed that. Uh, nice work.
1: There's a lot of people who are who are like uh they, You know, they treat spirituality with kid gloves. Yeah. And there's also a lot of people that seem to have bought into this idea that there's one way to do it, and right. that. That way, somehow, even though a lot of these really common spiritual practices are based on Eastern religions, the kind of commonly seen way to do it is like thin, young, blonde white men, mm-hmm. you know, like doing yoga poses really well with like fantastic skin and traveling around the world or something. You know, it's like, yeah. It's imagery that's out there that is around a lot of meditation and spirituality and i just don't buy it like my experience hasn't been like that and so right. i really started at this meditation as a way to say like okay here's my experience. Can you relate? Is there anyone out there having this experience? And it turns out there's a lot of people. And so it's been really awesome where we had a book come out a couple months ago. And in 2020, we are launching online classes and an online private meditation community. Mm. So we're really excited to be able to like connect with people more substantially because there's so many people that are it seems to be really hungry for spirituality but like yes it's the bullshit
0: <laughs> exactly i'm seeing that and it's are you in the east coast or the west coast, east coast. yeah East coast. yeah i feel like i see it on the east coast the west coast and then in chicago and then Ooh. when i go outside of there i'm like crickets anyone
1: anyone no okay oh, that's <laughs> you know we're doing user interviews right now and i'm realizing that we haven't talked to anybody on either coast that I'm realizing the people we're talking to are Mm. actually in the middle. So I wonder if there's hidden communities out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or people who don't have the community and that's why the online platform is so important.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited about, about the connecting online. I mean, I think there's a a lot to be said for connecting in person. I really believe in face-to-face interactions, especially Mm -hmm. energetically. There's so much that can be done, Mm -hmm. but I think that being able to have the opportunity to connect with people online, when it's done well, it really can open you up to the potential to like connect with so many more people and different kinds of people too, which I think is great.
0: Absolutely. So
1: how did you get here? Tell us your life story. (laughs) Wherever you'd like to begin. Yeah, I love that. So I have had a few different careers. I worked in fashion and I worked in Hmm. technology and those actually kind of, after 20 years, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So I've had mm. successful businesses and some not successful businesses. And I was working in wearable tech. So I was kind of combining fashion with technology. What? Yeah. And I was helping a lot of clients build these wearables, which were like wow. super interruptive. So like we were building wearable tech, like think of the Apple watch. That's like, yeah. okay. and, and it's like, Hey, look at me, look at me. At that same time I had been meditating for years. And I was like going to retreats and I was doing everything I could in my personal life to make it so that I wasn't being interrupted so that I could focus, that I could have Mm -hmm. an openness. And then professionally, it was like, how can we bother people the most? And (laughs) After a while, it's like, okay, one of these things has to go, yeah, you know. And yeah. so for me, it was like, okay, I'm I'm going to make a conscious choice to try to move my work into a place where it more aligns with what I'm really believing and how I'm living my actual life, how I'm trying to live my actual right. life. So that's why I started moving in this direction. And and at first, it was really focusing, and I still do focus a lot on mindful technology use. So uh, really applying the principles of mindfulness to building technology. So that work is with a lot of like clients who are building stuff, actually developing technology. Mm. But That's kind of moved into helping people who are using technology, which is like all of us and coming from this place of like, no shame, because Mm. that shit is built to be addictive. Like I've been on the side of it, of being like, okay, we're developing techniques which are actually going to like manipulate people's behavior for our purposes. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, at the same time, everyone's like, I don't understand why I'm addicted to my phone. There's something wrong with me. You know, it's like, there is nothing wrong with you. Nah, <laughs> bitch. Same reason you're addicted to anything with sugar in it. Right. right like exactly. I do that shit on purpose. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It is like design and develop that way. and It is marketed mm-hmm. that way. So I love being able to connect with people on that level and like help people understand, like, it's not you. And, you know i feel that way about so many things but it's like stop blaming yourself first like mm-hmm. done. i was raised mormon so i have like
0: Re- a- Ooh, i want to get into that stuff yeah.
1: yeah it's a long journey and a really pretty strictly religious family so guilt was a like a heavy part of what we hated. Uh, yeah. and shame uh, and shame yeah and you know constant battle still but I do try in my work as much as possible to just take that out. Just take out the guilt and shame as much as we can so that we can just address what the actual problems are. Because <laughs> I don't know if if you agree with this or not, but I do feel like a lot of times that stuff is a mask for other stuff. Oh, of course. Yeah. So it's like, all right, as much as we can, let's try to let that go so we can actually talk about like when it comes to technology, we can talk about what are some easy steps that you can do to develop some friction between you and your technology so that you naturally use it less. Or when we're talking about meditation or self-care, how can we set that stuff aside so we can actually look at reality as it is?
0: <laughs> right. And I think there's like two sides to it, right? Because what I'm thinking of when we're when we're shaming ourselves or have that guilt, it's negative self-talk, it's shaming, it's self-hating and Sometimes we're hating ourselves for natural experiences, and that if we stopped hating ourselves and just related to it it with, like, oh, this is a thing that humans do and created space for compassion, there's that. And then on the flip side, sometimes there's like the underpinnings of. The self-hate really come from trauma. And then it's hard to intervene from a behavioral perspective. And if the behavioral interventions don't work, that means there's something else underneath that somebody really needs to seek therapy for.
1: Right, right. And it's hard to even begin to start to unpack that stuff if we're like, for instance, on our phones all the time. If you're not paying attention. Right. Yeah. And of course, Mm -hmm. I mean, we all do it sometimes and I'm like, seriously, no shame. We all do it. But that can be for a lot of people, the first step so like setting the stuff aside. And then maybe a lot of what I teach is like, how can we make friends with ourselves? How can we make being with ourselves a friendly experience? How can we love ourselves and support ourselves as much as possible? Because when we start to trust ourselves and trust that Mm -hmm. we can regulate ourselves, that we have the ability to make ourselves feel safe, that is enormous. Right. The book is really practical and hands on.
0: Yes, it is. I was going to say that's brilliant. And it's not just for people who are new to meditation. There were things in there that I was like, oh, I've been meditating for three and a half years now, but I wouldn't have thought of that. So I'm going to pick that up and use that for myself
1: that's one of the things I love about meditation and that I teach is that there are so many ways to do it. There's so many different techniques that we can do and different things we can try with full respect for the fundamentals of where the practice came from. Like I'm not talking about skimming the surface, spiritual bypassing. I'm talking about there is a richness of experience out there. And if we're trying something and it's maybe not resonating, cool. Try something else. You know, it's like, there's a million things that we can do. There's not one way of right. doing it. Although a lot of teachers will tell you that there was like one way to do it.
0: Right. She leaned forward, like, just so you know, some people, <laughs> some people tell you that I'm just going to whisper
1: right <laughs> now, but it's like, it's I call that the cult of it works yeah. for you, which is that a lot of people are like, okay, cool y'all. And it usually comes from a really good place where they're like, I have struggles. I found this way through. This is the way through for you. Right. You know, it's like, okay, well, that's not true. What's true is that we can give people the tools to figure out what their path is and what their own way. Through is right. There's no one size fits all in anything, not in therapy, not in meditation. But there's a a bazillion people out there who will try to sell you like their process, you know? right? And so the book, it has 108 tips, tricks, and ideas in it. And they go anywhere from a minute to an hour. And we've been working on like hundreds more that we're adding, but it really all is just stuff where you're like, all right, I'm stressed out or Mm -hmm. I'm having this difficult thing. What can I try? Like, what can I do? And so it, is like simple breathing practices, simple meditation, all kinds of stuff. But what I really am trying to do is to empower people as much as possible to find out what's working for themselves. Like, yeah. I don't care if someone gets that book and is like, well, I tried 107 of these things and they didn't work. But then there's this one thing that I just do it right. all the time. It's like, then I feel like that was a success. <laughs>
0: exactly. And you you literally say that in the book, too. You're like, well, you can read it from the beginning or you can just kind of flip to a page or you can look, you've got it broken down into different amounts of time, right? So Mm -hmm. if you only have one minute, you can do this, you know, if you give yourself 20 minutes, and it's just it's so well done. And it's called F this meditation. So you can get it on Amazon, I'm sure it's on your website and all kinds of places,
1: right? It's so cute. It's so cute. (laughs) Yes. One of the things I wasn't intending, but have been surprised and delighted to find out is that there's a lot of therapists who are buying it for their waiting rooms. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do with it.
0: Yeah, I'm holding it at home today. So we can have. This interview and then yeah, bring That's it to my so practice.
1: Wonderful. It's catchy, mm-hmm. it's like wet, it's pink and it says F this meditation. So you're right, like, you're like what? What? but people are like hopefully, as and I'm hearing this is happening, people pick it up and flip through it and just get like an idea, just something exactly. like, that they can take home and like try out, which I feel so flattered and yeah. like blessed, and like legitimately not like hashtag blast, but like holy people are like <laughs> come on now i mean i'm in uh, love with you already (laughs) well you know you know how it is
0: i do yeah (laughs) so i'm really curious you know you you dropped the mormonism thing in there which i'm like "Mm, spirituality like a little spiritual uh wounding there how did you go from growing up in a mormon household to f this meditation what brought you to meditation
1: Yeah, it took a long time. But so my family, a pretty big family, there were six of us kids. Mm. And I knew really early on and with a really helpful clarity that the Mormon religion was not for me. I don't remember a time when I wondered about the truth for me. Mm. I'm talking about from a really young age. It just didn't add up. Like I didn't buy it. And I had a couple of situations that helped to clarify that for me. Mm. So Mormons do baptisms when a child is eight years old. Which is a kind of weird in-between thing. It's like, it's not the babies, but it's not adults either. But my understanding of it, and this is just my understanding, because I don't practice the religion now and I don't research Mm -hmm. it. So it's what I remember and it could be a little off. But my understanding of it is that they do it at eight years old because they believe that that's an age where someone is mature enough to make lifetime decisions. Hmm. Wait, sorry. I just took that and was like, "Wait, that's hilarious." (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, "What?" Right. And then they also kind of, in my lived experience, and it's obviously it's going to be different for anyone else that has experiences with Mormonism or any other religion. But my experience was that there was also this kind of like a faux choice where it was like, hmm. would you like to choose to get baptized? And for me, that wasn't a real choice because I lived in a family and in a house where that right. was what did. And so I could only imagine what the consequences would have been for making a different choice. So of course, I, you know, quote unquote, chose to get baptized. And I had this moment. So in the baptism, as I understood it, it was like the moment of my sins washing away and like right. from scratch. And so I was able to, you know, be purified and just get like the blank slate, tabula rasa. And so I went through the baptism and I remember someone asking me, Did you feel the Holy Spirit? I did not, right? Like I didn't. Mm-hmm. It, but I knew I had to say yes. Right. So I lied and I said yes. And immediately I was like, well, I'm fucked because I just told a lie. Right. Already sinned. Yeah. It's over. That was my experience. Yeah. Like, well, you know, it's like, well, that lasted 30 seconds, you know, it's like, or whatever. And so for me, it was like, well, I'm done. Like, stick a fork in me. I'm baked. Can I intervene in that for a second
0: just to kind of, because we talked about trauma a little bit at the beginning. And from a trauma perspective, developmental trauma happens when you choose connection over your own authenticity. And that's literally exactly what you did. You knew for safety reasons you had to choose something other than what your intuition was telling you so that you wouldn't be ostracized or punished or whatever right
1: yeah and that went on for so long of course That's my first memory of it. Like, I'm sure it happened before. But that was my first conscious memory of just, like, seeing the choice really clearly. Like, that choice you just described, it was apparent to me what was happening. I'm sure there was other times when I just went with the flow and whatever, whatever. But, like, at that, it was plain to me what was going on. So... In some ways, I do feel grateful that I did have clarity, because I have seen a lot of people, people in my family and friends that I've had and clients that I've worked with who haven't been sure where they stand on things. And that can be its own struggle. And it's real. That's a real struggle. But that wasn't part of my struggle. Like, I knew that it wasn't for me. But when I got to become an adolescent, as I got older, things really took a turn for the worse. So... My parents, who are so well intentioned and lovely people. And I know to this day that they were doing the best that they could. Yeah. And they continue to learn and grow, mm-hmm. but they made some terrible choices. So when I turned 14, I was a freshman in high school and I started doing some really minor basic rebellion things Mm -hmm. a couple of times. I tried pot, shoplifting. Like I had a boyfriend, but really like beginning stages of these things. Mm -hmm. My parents who had been raised in highly religious families themselves and had never had any exposure to any of that kind of thing. They had no personal experience to it and no exposure to it. They lost it. I mean, they freaked out. Yeah. So they ended up institutionalizing me.
0: Wait, can we pause on that for a second? Like that is traumatic as well. For normal developmental stuff, like that's a pretty normal thing for all of those things for a 14 year old to be experimenting with. And you were sent away because you were bad. I was
1: sent away for years. Yeah. Years? Three years. Yeah. Holy
0: shit, dude.
1: Part of it was that, I mean, they made terrible choices. Yeah. I've also learned about how fucked up the system was that allowed that to happen.
0: Well, of course, because that's the, the, the religion that told your parents, this is what you do with a child who's acting out.
1: Religion and honestly, the institutions too. Did you grow up in Utah or? In Iowa. So I was in the Midwest. And so over the course of three years, from the ages of 14 to 17, I was in, I think, seven different institutions. There was like a psych ward, juvenile detention, drug treatment center. It is wild to me because now I've been going back and trying to retrace the steps and put it all together and figure out like, okay, what did happen when, what was real? And all those records have been destroyed. And so I'm kind of left to... Just my memory, and my mouth is agape, (laughs) and I am horrified. I'm really disappointed that that is true because I would like to be able to contextualize some of that stuff and understand it better, of course. Yeah, but it's all gone, you know, it was before computer records, so it was like paper records, and it was, and you
0: only have to keep them for seven years in most states.
1: That's wild to me, too, because it's like seven years later. It's like, it started when I was 14. It's like, well, I was, still, you're
0: 21 like, yeah, yeah, still whatever, a- or whatever. I can't, I don't do math.
1: <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. But I got into this system where, so I was saying, I've only done this. Like, why am I here? Like, I only did this. And they said, and by they right now, I'm talking about like the intake counselors and the counselors that I had in the institutions. And they said to my parents, all kids are liars. <gasps> Kids like will lie about what they've done. If you know that she's done this, then she's definitely done all this other stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so I was in this place for years where I had to. I mean, really, I had to lie to survive. So that thing we talked about earlier—that inflection point, that decision point of me saying, mm-hmm. like, "Sure, I totally felt this Holy Spirit," you know. I had to carry that through to like the nth degree. Like I have a memory and this is difficult. I mean, I'm fine sharing it, but I will say for listeners, like Mm -hmm. this is some difficult stuff. So um, pause if you need to. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. But, you know, because I don't want to pass any of this difficulty along, of in course. Stories, but it, but this is what happened. So I have some memories of having these like family weekends where my family, my parents would come and we would we'd be sitting in counseling because this is all inpatient stuff. Like I was literally locked up. And there was these levels, like you're on this level, you can't use silverware or go to the bathroom by yourself or, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> if you quote unquote earn a better level, then you're allowed to like have a little bit more, what they would call, say freedom, but right. It's not my (laughs) ooh silverware equals freedom. Cool, yeah, I can eat my applesauce with a spoon. Cool. (laughs) But it really wasn't what we wanted. It's like, I want to move up these levels. And so in order to do that, one of the things we had to do was like present a timeline. I don't remember what they called it, but it was basically like a timeline of the fucked up shit you did. Oh my God. I legitimately hadn't done a lot of the things that they were saying. So for instance, I never had sex, but they didn't believe that. So I had to do this timeline on the wall where I'm like, this is when I had my, I don't even think I'd had my first kiss at that point. I could be, wow. worried, but I was like, this is when I lost my virginity. This is when I did crystal meth. This is what it was all lies. And I had to sit there and quote unquote, admit this stuff to my parents so that I could like literally breathe fresh air. Right. My parents are breaking down. How could you do this? We're so disappointed. I mean, talk about a moment of trauma. And of course that memory is so strong because it was such, it was another one of those like inflection points where it was like choosing to tell you a lie Which of course I'm being told by my parents and by a lot of these counselors and staff from the institutions that I'm a bad person and then I'm sitting there lying, which of course reinforces to me that like, yeah, I'm a bad person. And I ran away a couple of times. I damn straight you should have run away. I'm telling you 25 years to understand like I just in the last few years did I understand what you're saying damn yeah. so ran away yeah. and at the time I was like oh, I'm just a fuck up they're just right I guess it's time to try crystal meth because everyone thinks I've already done it you know it's like right if I lose my virginity just some am like random guy because right like, so I did do a bunch of stuff that was not choices I would have made otherwise, but I was like, who cares? Kind of a thing. But I really did make these conscious choices to tell these lies so that I could survive, which took a long time to unpack. And I would not say that it's fully unpacked now, but I am conscious of it. And I'm able to kind of like see now through a lot of, you know, like introspection and a lot of my own kind of work. I'm like, Oh, I am telling someone what they want to hear right now. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because I learned how to do that for a reason. There's nothing wrong with me, but I can let it go because it's not serving me now.
0: It's literally how you survived.
1: It really was. And there was a fair amount of abuse in those places too. And... There's so much control. I've tried to learn a lot more about this stuff now and understand Mm -hmm. what happened in those institutions. And part of what I've realized is there is so much money to be made. Like, okay, for instance, so I tried pot a couple times, and within I don't know how long it was to me. It seems like it was a couple months, maybe it was a year. My parents' insurance ran out at five hundred thousand dollars. But the people who were running these places said I wasn't ready to leave. And so my parents gave me up to the state. So I became a ward of the state so that the state could keep paying for me to stay in these places that I shouldn't have been at in the first place. And so the complexity of it was not something that I understood at the time. At the time, I was like, My parents are really strict and I kind of fucked up. Like, that's all I understood at the time was like, my parents are overreacting, but they're right because I just ran away or, you know, or whatever it is. I told a lie, whatever. In retrospect, it is so messed up that there was so many adults who were like, I don't want to say conspiring because it wasn't that like,
0: right, not that sinister. But
1: there was uh, an entire system that was kind of built around this idea. And the thing is that there's still kids today that are going through that. That is my past. It is some people's present. You know, it breaks my heart to think of the kids that are going through that today.
0: And the thing that's so blatantly obvious to me, because You know, I work in addiction and underlying every single mental health issue, addiction, acting out behavior is trauma, period. And there's not enough training in these places on trauma because if they were trauma informed, the questions they would have been asking are, so why? Why is Eliza doing this, right? Not let's look at all the bad things she's done and let's pathologize her even more because all kids are liars. You know, all kids are trying to survive. Right. They didn't have that picture. And that's an unfortunate reality of the mental health system when you were that. Can I ask how old you are?
1: Yeah, I'm 42 now. So it was happening. It was like 93 to 96. Right. I mentioned before we started recording that I'm working to become a trauma-informed meditation instructor. Mm-hmm. And so I go to retreats and I go to classes and I sit with a lot of counselors and therapists mm-hmm. and I hear the way that counselors and therapists will talk about adolescents, And usually it's respectful. There are definitely times right. I hear people making jokes about the juvenile delinquents and I look pretty mainstream and respectable. Like, I don't think that people look at me and think like... Right oh, she was one of them kind of a thing. So I hear these things that are said and it breaks my heart when people are kind of talking flippantly exactly what you were saying about as if like the kids are bad when it's so apparent that it's like the behavior stems from something. It comes from a place. Yeah, so that happened. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that definitely is something that I'm still working on for sure, for sure, for yeah. sure. But it is something that I understand a lot better now as an adult mm-hmm. and it really does help inform me and my approach to working with people and teaching people. Mm-hmm. And also how cool for me that I know in my heart, like in my heart of hearts, that people are often not what other people say they are or what they've been told they are that there is like, I feel so genuinely grateful to still feel like the connection to myself when I was that age is painful. Thinking about that is sad. And I wish that I could do things for that girl now. But there's 25 years that are separating. Like there's obviously healing work that I can do.
0: Right. And you are doing it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, no, you're doing it. (laughs) that's trying you're doing it you're right I am I do a lot of intentional work on it I do still to this day because I think I have to Mm -hmm. but I am grateful that I still have that emotive and heart connection because I think that it helps me to live my life with my heart more open which Mm -hmm. can be a really painful thing to do I mean it is painful but it also allows me to do the work that I'm doing and so Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that to be available You set it up so
0: I can knock it out of the park that begs the question, how do you feel about the term healer in terms of your work?
1: Yeah, I love that you asked that question because it really is asking for people to have a lot of self-inquiry about something that I think is really important. And I think that there's a lot of people I will mention also as a way of kind of answering this. So I did not graduate from high school and I don't have a college degree because of what happened. I mean, who knows what would have happened otherwise? Like, you know, guess that I probably would have gone through like the typical path. But what happened for me is that I became emancipated about a week after I turned 17 and supporting myself since then. And I got pregnant when I was 20 and I had a daughter when I was 21. So I'm the mom to a 20 year old now. That's crazy (laughs) to
0: me. Oh my gosh.
1: The math there. Wow. I know. I know. It's true. It's crazy to me too. And I was there for the whole 20 years, (laughs) right? (laughs) So from one perspective, I am a high school dropout. I was like, you know, locked up in my, you know, in juvenile detention, all this stuff. When I was like young, I had a baby out of wedlock really young. I was just, I'm married now, but I was a single mom for a long time, like no education and all this stuff. So from one perspective and the message that I got a lot from other people was like, well, that sucks. I mean, so often I had stuff that happened that was challenging, you know, people would be like, oh my gosh, you are going to be so great. You, you know, like there was like, wow. So invalidating. Yeah. Yeah, And I can't explain. I do not know where the strength came from that I was like, fuck you. I'm yeah. not finished. Like I got written off so many times. And I know that that happens to other people and mm-hmm. family, they just collapse under the weight of it. Yeah. Right. And I don't know why I didn't do that. But I didn't. I kept going and I kept trying stuff. And so, wait, hang on. What was the question? Why did I talk about this? (laughs) How about the term healer? Yeah, you're amazing. I love it. So, So, because I don't have a formal education, because I never did that, I have kind of an unattachment to formalize systems and mm-hmm. to things like, I don't want to say like definitions of words, but I felt like a lot of things don't apply to me. Like I've never mm. done this. I've never done that. And so a lot of my initial instincts about the term healer is like, that doesn't apply to me because mm. I'm just over here doing this other thing. I've never, you know, like formalized that process. or mm-hmm, you know, whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But one of the things that I do know like I am so driven by is the concept of alchemy. The idea, I believe that the most powerful thing that we can do, we're not obligated to do it. We don't have to do it. But the most powerful thing that we can do as humans is to take something bad and turn it into something good. And that's how I've lived my life. And it's how I try to live my life every day. And the stuff that happened to me was bad there's just you yeah. no getting around it like the, i you know i may have some gratitude around some things i got out of it but it was bad I had bad mm-hmm. things done to me that i was locked up i had bad things done to me when i was locked up there was a lot of stuff but For me, I've been so grateful to have been able to take that stuff and turn it into, basically, I tell you what, I made a conscious choice. I made a real choice. I read something somewhere like 20 years ago and I wish I could remember where it was. If any listeners know what I'm talking about, please tell me where it was. But it was the idea of taking what you didn't get and turning it into something that you give. Or the opposite was what a lot of people do is they take something that they didn't get and so they won't give it. Like I didn't have like a mother who was super nurturing. And so I'm not going to be a nurturing mother. Like that's something that a lot of people go through. For me, I did not have a super nurturing mother, but I decided that that was the kind of mother I wanted to be. Right. My whole parenting philosophy has been, what do I wish someone would have done for me? Exactly. Trying to do that thing. Mm -hmm. You're never done parenting and you never know what's going to happen next. But I will say that I have a 20-year-old daughter who is a fantastic human. Mm. And I am so proud to call my daughter. Like she is a good, good person. And Mm. so I feel like it worked. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, so that was good. Like she's secure and she's, you know, doing amazing things. And so it's like, okay, so I was able to kind of do that to figure my way through that with some help. But that's really in regards to the question of like, a healer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think of myself as more like an alchemizer. Mm-hmm. and I think of myself as someone who can maybe help someone polish their mirror. Very Ram Dass. Totally. I just got off a retreat with Ram Dass the week yeah. before. My God! Right. I saw your post about that. Right. It was intense. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. So that concept, polishing the mirror—that's one of his books. I think it's called "Polishing the Mirror." Yep. I just read that one recently. I mm-hmm. love that. It's the. Mm-hmm. Concept. It's really cool. Yeah, but one of the things. So, so you mentioned the post I wrote about it. So, one of the things that when I was at the retreat with Ram Das and friends, one of the things that bothered me that was happening is that on the stage there was giant pictures of humans. So, like some gurus, some right. like people who had actually lived, and some uh, representations of some Hindu gods also. But there was right. like these kind of. I'm probably over exaggerating to call it idol worship, but it definitely was like here are our, our gurus on stage. What I wanted on the stage, what I hope to see someday is a giant fucking mirror. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I want a giant mirror or I want mirrors on meditation cushions. It's like, because we go somewhere, and a lot of times in the spiritual community, in my experience with it, I've been studying Buddhism for about 12 years now. A lot of my experience is that we're going and we're trying to get this wisdom that comes from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I am not interested in that. I am yeah. interested in the wisdom that we have inside of us. I'm yep. in the work that we can do to clear off the mirror so that yes. we can see it. I'm interested in like the work that we can do with trauma to get ourselves down to the point where we can make friends with ourselves yes. and then, like get ourselves within that window of tolerance to start being able to like sit with ourselves and recognize that wisdom. That's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. I don't think of myself as a healer except for of myself. Mm-hmm. I work to heal myself. But when it comes to the things, the work that I'm doing with other people and what I'm trying to offer people, it really is like... A path or some practices or some ways that they can heal themselves to.
0: Mm. So, then how about the term wounded healer? Does that sit with you a little differently than the term <laughs> healer?
1: I think that term is so wonderful. And thank you for using it because it's so thoughtful. I don't know of anyone who's not wounded. Damn straight. <laughs> I know a lot of people who might not see their wounds, but I think that. The best healers that I've had personal experience with are people that are learning their own path, are learning things that work for them, are not presenting it as, like, here's the thing that worked for me. So it's the thing. Right. But are saying, like, here's a thing you could try. Here's some tools that I've learned. I Mm -hmm. want to share those. I think a wounded healer is. All of us that are doing any kind of work where we're trying to get ourselves to this best place that we can be so that we can help other people, whatever that looks like. Yeah. I feel good about that. I feel like it's
0: real. Absolutely. And I there's something about this time in history of the world where everything that's coming out right now, all the books, all of the information really is coming from this place of this is my story. And I'm sharing it in hopes that it will resonate with someone and give something to someone in order for them to feel okay about themselves too. I don't really know from a spiritual perspective exactly what that is. But I mean, that's all that's out there right now. I mean, I think that's why we have so many podcasts and books and, and all of these ways for people to see themselves because i think we have to be able to look at, at ourselves in the mirror and i think we do have to see examples of what it looks like to move through the world as a wounded healer not acting from our wounds but using them for good
1: right exactly have you heard of the phrase i'm sure you have teach from the scar not from the wound yeah. that's in meditation that's in writing you know that's mm-hmm. an i think that that is part of being a wounded healer is right. understanding which one of your own wounds are right. healed where do you have scars and where do you have open wounds and making sure that we're teaching from the place where we have enough healing that we can be of service one of the things that i do see happen which concerns me is when people are teaching from the places that are still really raw because what I've seen end up happening, what can happen sometimes is that then the teacher or the healer is really looking for some help in healing their own wounds. And that's dangerous. It's so dangerous. It makes me feel really nervous. Yeah. And so I think that the work that we can do if we're like recognizing ourselves as like a wounded healer mm-hmm. is that, Keep that really conscious of yes. like, cool. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be fixed. I don't have to, you know. And that to me, that authenticity is that's what I want in a teacher. And it seems yeah. so people are resonating with about ethics meditation is that no one at ethics meditation is pretending that they're like a quote unquote like good person. You know, it's right, like, right. Super mission driven. We all care a lot about a lot of things. We care about social justice. We care about spirituality. Mm-hmm. We care like we're trying our best, but no one is like, Oh, I'm finished. Like, <laughs> like I am complete. I mean, mm-hmm. we are full. we are complete. We're just not finished. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. We're complete, but not finished. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I love is that I do a lot of posts on the FS meditation Instagram where I'm like, basically i'm like you guys i totally fucked up look at this yeah Um, (laughs) and i love that a lot of times i'm seeing other meditation teachers and other yoga teachers come in and be like me too and a lot of times i notice they don't post that stuff on their own
0: Mm.
1: yeah but they like hop on over to f this and they're like oh yeah i i like swore at someone on the train this morning and i'm like welcome come in this is the place right And
0: one of the ways that I try to be very conscious of of what my wounds are and what my work is is by constantly getting consultation and having people on the outside who I trust to really help hold that mirror up for me.
1: I love that so much. One of the things that I'm working on right now is we're really launching SS Meditation into like a full-fledged business. One of the things that I'm doing is I'm putting together a personal advisory board. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want that. And part of why I'm motivated to do that is that I have been the part of, I have unfortunately been the part of several communities in the last few years that have fallen to pieces because of spiritual abuse.
0: Yes. Which yes. for me
1: is a little bit of a head trip because right. I'm like, how did I know when I was eight years old that I didn't want to be a Mormon, but then mm-hmm. I'm a like, the woman and I keep ending up with teachers who are accused by like 20 people of abuse. Like,
0: right,
1: that's its own trouble yeah. that's happening right now. I mean, I definitely think we're bringing a lot of stuff to light that's been around for a long time. Like, I don't right. feel like there's more abuse now. I feel like there's more talking about it
0: now. Exactly, right.
1: That's a good thing. But there is so much of that that's happening. And I am so conscious of it. I am so hyper-aware of it. And I yeah. feel so responsible that if someone is going to listen to me, I have to go to great lengths to make sure that I am being as responsible as I can possibly be in all elements of what I'm trying to teach. And I think part of that is having a team, like what you're talking about, of people that I feel like are on my side. I need to personally feel like they got me, but who are like, hey, Liza, you kind of screwed up on this. Or like, maybe don't say it that way. Or like, hey, you're behaving really strangely. You need to maybe check that. I want that so badly because I want so badly to be able to give what I think is this gift to people in as pure a form as I am able to do.
0: Yeah. So we're definitely going to post, you know, all the social media things and where people can find you. Anything in particular you want to share where you want to direct people?
1: Yeah, our Fs Meditation Instagram account is really fun. It is really fun. (laughs) Thank you. And we have a bunch of free resources that we're getting ready to launch too. So we're trying to put this out there as we can some free live classes and free giveaways. There's a book that we have about how to find, work with and fire a spiritual teacher (laughs) Mm. Uh, and stuff like that. So that's all on the website at thismeditation.com. But we're trying to put as much out there as possible. And if this idea of like meditation or spirituality that is not precious (laughs) is interesting to people, we'd love to have them come hang out. Yeah, the internet is a great place to do it. Great.
0: And is there anything that I that I didn't ask you that you really feel like you want to share with listeners before
1: we go? I think the one thing I would love to reiterate, and we just said it was the idea that we are all complete and not just finished, that when we are on this path, when we're on a spiritual journey, I think that sometimes we can kind of be exposed to this insidious idea that the idea of constant improvement is a moral imperative that we need to be constantly fixing ourselves and be your so American.
0: Person.
1: Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And it's so insidious, like, be better this da, 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 da. And that, in my experience, and my understanding, that is bullshit. The yep. only way to love yourself is to love yourself as you already are. You cannot change yourself into someone you can love. Mm-hmm. That will not so I yeah. want to maybe offer up the idea for people to just like plant a little seed and maybe think about that. You don't have to change anything to access some self-love and some peace. It really is about introducing the self-love and the peace to where you yeah. already are. And as
0: Carl Rogers said, the paradoxical thing is once I start accepting myself, then I can change.
1: It's beautiful. Yeah. It's magic.
0: Yeah. Well, you're magic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank
1: you. I prefer alchemists. Oh, right, right. You're an alchemist. But
0: this has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm just I'm just so grateful to have connected and to be able to share this time with you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for an opportunity to talk about this stuff. It feels really special to be able to have your listeners out there being open to hearing these kind of vulnerabilities. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you so much to Liza for that wonderful conversation. If you'd like to learn more about Liza and F This Meditation, you can find her info on www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Bye-bye.